Okay, we are starting an 11-week sermon series on discipleship, and this is one that I have been looking forward to for a long time. This is kind of my stab at what is it that we really need to know about the Christian life. Now, in one sense, it seems strange to do an 11-week series on that because we should do a lifetime series on that. And, and that's what I intend to teach you, is that discipleship isn't something that we start at a moment in time and then complete at a moment in time. We, we will, once we get to heaven, we'll be glorified. But the rest of our life here on earth should be taken up with what we call discipleship. And, and I believe that discipleship, when properly understood, and, and please allow me to explain myself, but discipleship, when properly understood, is the most appropriate way to describe what the church is to be about. I've been asking people this question over the year. I've been asking other pastors. I've been asking our leadership team. Do you agree with this statement or not? Discipleship is not a program of the church. It is the program of the church. That is to say that discipleship isn't a side ministry that we do. It's not like we have our, our men's ministries, our women's ministries, our children's ministries, and then over here we have our discipleship ministry. What I would suggest is that our discipleship ministry is our ministry that that's what we do here at Cornerstone Church, is that we focus on discipleship. Now, again, you'll have to allow me to explain that one, but as I've been asking people the question that way, people usually have given me this response after thinking about it for a little bit. Yeah, that, that sounds right. But I understand there's a bit of a disconnect here. Because how many of you would say that you have been part of a church where discipleship has been at the forefront? How many churches would have a coherent answer to the question, what are you doing in regard to discipleship at your church? Or think about just surveying the random churchgoer and saying, what does discipleship look like at your church? wonder what kind of answers we get. I wonder how many people would be even able to give an answer to that question. Well, if discipleship is supposed to be what the church is about, then why is it that so few churches and churchgoers could describe what discipleship is or how it's happening at their church. Now allow me to explain myself. When I talk about the word discipleship, I am talking about a huge category here. I'm not just talking about those two people who get together every Tuesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and have coffee and go through a 73-step discipleship process. Although that would certainly fall underneath the umbrella of discipleship. What I am talking about is the all-encompassing call from God on our lives and on the lives of other people. And as such, I would say that discipleship is what the church is supposed to be about. Now, if I can just jump into some of your minds right now, I, I can imagine that some of you out there might be saying, well, wait a second, isn't God's glory supposed to be what we're about? Isn't it that we exist so that we can give God glory? And I would say, absolutely. And, and I would add that giving glory is part of our discipleship. That Actually, I would say that in, in following Jesus' disciples, that, that we do give God glory. That's included in discipleship. So again, I am talking about a huge category here, and it's one that we must get right. Now allow me to use an illustration. And I, I've got two illustrations I'm going to use today. One's kind of a, a manly illustration and one's kind of a womanly one. So well, we're going to start off with a manly one. Imagine if you were asked to take over as football coach from a team that had really been struggling. 
What would you do? It's your job to train these people, to take them from a team that's not very good, and you're expected to make them a team that is good. What would you do? Well, Vince Lombardi, famous coach from that other team in our neighboring state that we won't mention, um, rhymes with Rackers, their team name. Um, he took over a team that over its previous three years had a winning percentage of 24%. Not very good. They're winning about one out of every four games. And, and he takes over as head coach, and it's his job to turn the ship around. What, what's he supposed to do? Well, here's how Vince Lombardi started. First day of training camp. Gets these grown men, professional athletes, and says, Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> now, obviously, they knew it was a football. And obviously... Coach Lombardi had many, many other things that he was to teach them. But if you don't get that right, how do you get anything right about football? And, and he went on to explain to them some more of the basics. But to Coach Lombardi, the basics weren't something that you learn and then you move on from. He would keep on going back to that lesson that this is a football. These are the boundary lines. That's the end zone. And he would do it because the basics are something that we don't graduate from. The basics are something that we need to master Coach Lombardi went on to lead his team to a 75% winning percentage over the years with championships involved in it. That's what I want to do with this series on discipleship is to be able to hold up something and say, this is discipleship. This is what we must be about. And in one sense, it will feel basic. It will, some of you might be thinking throughout this series, oh, I've, I've learned that already. I know that one. I'm good there. But I, I want to encourage you not to think like that. I want to encourage you to think that these are the things that we must know, and we must know them so well that we, we will be able to pass them on as well, and that we will be able to live them out every day of our lives. So again, this is not just an 11-week series. This is to define who we are as a church. And not that the lessons that I'm going to give will define who we are as a church. It's God's message that needs to define who we are as a church. And it's our following Him that will, for better or worse, define who we are as a church. If we do a good job, that'll be a good thing. If we don't do a good job following Him, that's going to define who we are as a church as well. So you see, we have to have a goal in mind here. We have to know what we're doing as we talk about this word discipleship. So what I want to do today is I want to take a look at the word discipleship for my first point. And it obviously comes from the word disciple. Jesus, as he was going around during his public ministry that approximately three-year period of time, what he did is he called people to himself and asked that they follow him. And those that were followers, he called disciples. So first of all, I want to define the word discipleship. And we're going to do that by looking at two words, disciple and follow. Disciple and follow. Let's look at the word follow first. This is what Jesus called people to do. 23 times in the Gospels, Jesus issued the call for people to follow him. I made up some bookmarks. Actually, Tim made them up and laminated them for us. And I, I hope some of you still have those. But 23 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. Let's look at one of those. Matthew 9, 9. This is in your bulletin. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. This is the same Matthew who went on to be one of the disciples, went on to be one of the twelve apostles, and as history tells us, he wrote the Gospel of Matthew and eventually gave his life sharing the Gospel message. 
Matthew, at this point, was just minding his own business. He was a tax collector, and he was sitting at his tax collector's booth doing what tax collectors do. When Jesus approached him and said, Follow me. What did Matthew do? Stood up, left his tax collector's booth, and followed Jesus. And that was to shape the rest of his life. One theological dictionary describes following as a commitment in a sense which breaks all other ties. Think of the ties that Matthew had when he was sitting at that booth. Family ties, career ties. Jesus asked him to follow him and to sever those ties. Not that they would be completely broken, but they would be reshaped in many ways so that he could commit himself fully to Jesus Christ. In Luke 9, we see a time when three people had a conversation with Jesus about what it meant to follow him. And I want to read this one for you. This is in your bulletin as well. Luke 9, starting in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So the first guy, Jesus laid it out pretty clearly. Jesus wanted this guy to know, uh, if you follow me, you're not going to have the security of having a set place to lay your head. Just want you to know that up front. Would you follow a homeless guy? Jesus approached the second guy and said to him, follow me. Jesus gave a command and this guy answered back with his own command. He said to Jesus, first, let me go back. Let me go back and bury my father. Now this guy seemed willing to give some things up to Jesus. He just wanted to do this one thing first. But Jesus said that wasn't good enough. He needed to be willing to give up everything, including the family duty of burying his father. third guy came up to Jesus and said basically the same thing, that he would follow Jesus after he said goodbye to his family. But again, for Jesus, that wasn't good enough. Jesus wasn't looking for followers who would constantly be looking back. He used that analogy of a farmer plowing. He said, if you're a plower, you don't look back because you won't be able to make the straight rows that you need to make when you're going forward. That's the kind of people we need in our service. Now, believe me, I understand that these interactions seem harsh. Why wouldn't Jesus let the guy go back and bury his father? Why wouldn't Jesus at least let that guy go back and say goodbye to his family? The reason is because following Jesus must come first. According to the theologian Darrell Bach, the reason is because following Jesus takes priority even over family considerations. Now please understand this. I don't think that Jesus is calling us to be jerks to our families. I don't think that's what this passage is about. In fact, something that's kind of neat to see is that one of the disciples, Peter, who started following Jesus, had a sick mother-in-law. And Jesus went back to that sick mother-in-law and healed her. Peter had, had given up his, his tithe. He, he fully followed Jesus. And Jesus came back and healed his mother-in-law. And that's a good picture for us. If we really want to look out for our families, 
the thing that we should be doing is following Jesus. What we see in Luke 9 is the importance of following Jesus above anyone or anything else. So to follow someone means that someone else determines our direction in life. And that is not easy. It wasn't easy 2,000 years ago, and it's not easy for us today to say, okay, you take control. Steering wheel, sure, you have it. Let me repeat myself. To follow someone means that someone else determines where we go. It implies submission. As Jesus said elsewhere, it implies that we take up our cross and follow him. Following Jesus is not a casual affair. It's not something that we can do simply by saying, yeah, I go to church on Sundays. It's not something that we do by simply calling ourselves Christian. It's a commitment to live our lives according to His ways and not ours. That's what it means to follow Him. Let's take a quick look now at what it means to be a disciple. In many ways, the words follower and disciple are synonyms. They mean the same thing. But let's take a look at specifically what it means to be a disciple. The word disciple literally means student or learner. A person who learns something from someone else. But the word is stronger than just simply what you would call your English teacher. Uh, The word implies a personal attachment, a devotion to learning the way of life of the teacher. So there's no such thing, and this, this was helpful for me, there's no such thing as a disciple without a teacher. To be a disciple means that there's a teacher that we're following and learning from. And the idea is that the student not only learns from, but also becomes like the teacher. And one of the most astounding truths to me in the Bible still is that we are to become like Christ. That's our goal. Did you know that? Not just our goal in heaven, that's where it will happen fully once we're glorified, but our goal on earth is actually to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew 25. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. That's what Jesus was saying when talking about why he wanted people to follow him. Because he wanted his students to be like him. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. So the reason that we would become disciples of Jesus Christ is so that God can do his wonderful work of transforming us to become even more like Jesus Christ right here and right now. Now, this is maybe just a little side note, but I found this interesting this week too. The word disciple isn't used in the Bible after the book of Acts. It's all over the place in the four Gospels, and and the book of Acts uses it a lot of times as well. But then the word just completely drops out. We don't see it in the rest of the Bible. Now, I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because Jesus wasn't literally walking around with them anymore. So it, it was a little bit harder to think of that word picture of following Jesus as his disciple when he wasn't walking around. But I would say that the word picture does carry itself through the rest of the New Testament. Listen to how the rest of the New Testament talks about our discipleship. Uh, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. You're familiar with that one, those of you that go here. It says that we are to continue to live in Jesus. In Ephesians 4, it says we're called to to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. In Romans 12, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, letting him transform our minds. And then I like this one in uh, Hebrews 12. 
where we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What I like about that one as we talk about discipleship is that the race has been marked out for us. We fix our eyes on Jesus. He sets the race. We run it. Or perhaps maybe the most simple and and maybe even the best way to talk about discipleship is what Jesus said in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you see, when, when I talk about discipleship, I'm talking about something that's far broader than just the word disciple. I'm talking about a life committed to God where we love Him and follow Him and commit to Him. So how would you respond? If 2,000 years ago you were just sitting around doing your own business and Jesus comes up and says, follow me, what would have you said? Or more importantly, what would you say today? What do you say today? Are you like Matthew, who left everything and followed Jesus? Or would you be like the rich young ruler? Remember, Jesus came up to him. Well, actually, no. The rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, Follow the commands. And the guy said, I do that. What, do I, what else do I need to do? What am I missing? And Jesus said, Okay. You really want to know? Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then follow me. And it says the man went away sad because he had great wealth. His wealth was standing in the way of him following Jesus. Is there anything for you that is standing in the way of your commitment to Jesus Christ being a follower of him? A disciple is one who follows Jesus. Will you follow him? As we move on to our second point, I want to show you something that we already looked at in Luke 9.60. That was the second man that Jesus was talking to, the, the guy who wanted to go back and bury his father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So a follower, a disciple of Jesus, is also one who proclaims God's message. So my second point today is that discipleship includes not only following Jesus, but also helping others follow Jesus. A disciple follows Jesus but also helps others follow Jesus. Now let me use my uh, other illustration here, my my more womanly one. Uh, Something I had to guard and protect on my way to church here. Okay, my my first one was, gentlemen, this is a football. My my second illustration, gentlemen, this is hardunger. Hardunger. Do do some of you know what this is? Uh, Intricate needlework, uh, a piece like this, I, do, I have no idea how long it would take because I have never ventured to do such a thing, but I know that it, it takes a long time. Um, it's, you see, if you can see it closely, the idea is to use geometric shapes and precise needlework, and the end product is something that would very likely be handed on down through the generations. Uh, Hardunger... One funny thing about Hardanger, if you're typing it into Microsoft Word like I was this week, it doesn't recognize the word. It puts a little red squiggly line underneath it, and it suggests to you that you change it to hard anger. Hard anger. So I'm doing my hard anger work right now. Hardanger is something that... I, I haven't done any scientific studies on this, but I would guess that most people who learned how to do Hardanger didn't learn it on their own. They probably learned it from their mother or their grandmother. Probably what happened was as a little girl, a girl sitting there watching her mom or her grandma 
learn how to do it and says, wow, that's really neat. Can you show me how to do it? Or, or the grandma comes to the, the little girl and says, I want to teach you something. And then over the course of months and years, as the two women work on it to go- together, the younger one learns from the older one how to do it. Some of these pieces, uh, Christine was telling me, can take five years to do. And, and I think that that's appropriate as we're talking about discipleship. Again, discipleship is not something that we will finish in 11 weeks. It's not something we'll finish in five years. It's something that we must keep on doing. And as we're doing it, we should be passing it on to others. Those other people who are sitting at our feet learning from us. We're to teach them how to do it. Being a disciple isn't done in a vacuum. Occasionally you hear the story of somebody who came to know Jesus by locking themselves in their bedroom and reading the Bible. But even then, those people don't stay in their bedroom. They, they leave their bedroom and they get involved in a church and they learn from other people there. And I'm guessing that most of us in here came to know Jesus because somebody else told us. And I'm guessing that 100% of us who know Jesus have grown in our faith as a result of somebody else telling us. I'm guessing that there are very few self-taught hardunger artists in the world. And there's really no such thing as a self-taught disciple. Now, as I mentioned earlier, a follower of Jesus is supposed to become like Jesus. Jesus said that he came to proclaim the good news. So if we are to be like Jesus, one of the things that we should do is join with him in his mission of proclaiming the good news. So let's take a look now at the connection between being disciples and proclaiming God's message. And to do that, I want to turn to a very familiar passage, Matthew 28, 16-20, the Great Commission. Says then the eleven disciples. This is, by the way, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always." to the very end of the age. Now allow me to point out just a couple things first about the setting. First of all, this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what do we see Jesus doing? Leading his people. He told them to go to this mountain. And when they got there, he had a message for them. And that might just seem like a small point, but it's actually a very important note that we serve a God who still leads us. He didn't die and stay dead. He died and rose again and he still leads us in our new life. And then the second point that I want to point out is that it says they worshipped him but some doubted. So lest you think that these disciples were some superhumans that had something that you don't, when these people, right before Jesus gave the Great Commission, when they saw him, some of them doubted. They weren't quite sure about how to live this new life. Even so, Jesus gave the Great Commission to them. And that should encourage us who don't feel particularly qualified for the job. And what does Jesus start off by saying? He says, all authority has been given to me. Whatever it is that Jesus is about to say, he he couches with the fact that he has been given authority to say it. And what is it that he said? Go and make disciples. 
Make disciples. That's the key phrase in there. In the Greek, they have a way of showing you what the main command is and what's kind of a subordinate command. And the main command in this passage is, uh, excuse me, make disciples. Jesus, during the course of his public ministry, made disciples. Now he's passing the torch on to his disciples, telling them to do the same thing. Disciples are to make disciples. How do you think the disciples felt when they heard this? Well, I've said this before here, but I bet, I, I bet that they felt pretty underqualified, pretty overwhelmed, scared. J- Jesus, you did that, but you're God. Now you're asking us to do that? I wonder what some of them started to think. I'm, I'm just picturing one of them thinking something like this. Jesus just told us that we're supposed to do what he did. How do we do that? Well, he taught us about walking with God. Maybe we should take what he taught us and then teach that to other people. I, I bet that's something like what happened in their minds. The things that they heard, they were to pass on. And, and the main command, again, what Jesus told them is to make disciples. So, make disciples? Okay, we're to make followers. We're followers. We know what it means to be followers. Now we just need to help other people be followers. And by the way, any of us can do that. Any of us who knows Jesus can pass on what we know to somebody else. But Jesus didn't just stop there. He didn't just dump on them this huge, important task. He said at the end, Surely I am with you always. That was Jesus' reminder that we don't do this alone. It's Jesus' reminder that this isn't our plan. It's his plan. And and when I think about that, when I think about what we're supposed to be doing as a church, I I just told you today that we need to be about discipleship. Now, you could be saying, well, that's just your idea, Eric. Well, maybe it's my idea. I I think I'm getting it from the Bible. But, But it's pretty neat how Christians all over the world come to the same conclusion in reading their Bible. Let me give you a couple examples of this. When I first came here to Cornerstone Church, when I was interviewing for this position, one of the things I was struck by was the mission statement. A passion to know Christ commissions to make him known. Do you see both parts of discipleship in there? A passion to know Christ. That's us walking with Christ. Commission to make him known. That's us telling others, helping them walk with Jesus. It isn't just a slogan. It wasn't just like, yeah, we need a mission statement. What should we get? I know. Throw a dart at the dartboard. It, this was God revealing his will to the people back in 2000, 2001. Another example of this. Uh, back when I was in high school at Hillcrest, where I was really just starting to, to learn how to walk with God, we had a, a student chapel day. And at that chapel, students could get up and, and say whatever it was that they felt was important to say. And I remember one guy, uh, kind of a loud guy, he, he stood up, and you'll have to excuse the brashness of this. Uh, these are his words, not mine, but it stuck with me. He said, the most important things in life are getting your butt in heaven and getting other butts in heaven. <laughs> I'd, maybe, I'd maybe say it a little different way, uh, although I did just say it. But, um, and I might add that it's not just about getting to heaven. It's also about the kind of life we live on earth. But there's something about that that has always stood out to me. Yeah, that's what's important. Us following Christ and us helping others follow Christ. And when you think about it, it's not that much more difficult than that. Our job as Christians is to walk with God, 
and to pass on what we know about walking with God to other people. And the good news is that Christ is with us in this. And this great commission that was given to disciples wasn't just for those disciples because they passed it on to people who passed it on, who passed it on, who passed it on all the way until somebody passed it on to us. And now it's our turn. We're the next link in that chain. We are to pass it on. That's how the Apostle Paul said it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul had spent much of his life training Timothy how to walk with Jesus. And then he was coaching Timothy how to train others. And he said, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. From Paul to Timothy to others to others. And on down the line. And now it's our turn. We are to make disciples. And not just converts, by the way. It's not that we just want people to pray a prayer of salvation and then we leave them on their own. We want to make disciples, people who are followers of Christ, people who can take what they've learned then and turn it, on, turn it to others as well. We are to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. So here's my big idea for today. We are to be disciples and make disciples. That's probably what I'll be saying many times over in this sermon series. We are to be disciples and make disciples. That's our lifelong job description. How do we do that? It's a huge task. How do we grow in our own personal discipleship? How do we help others be disciples? What's the church's role in this? What's your role in this? Well, that's what this sermon series is about. Over the next ten weeks, we're going to look at ten lessons that are for you both to embrace in your walk with God and to pass on to others. Each of the lessons that I'm going to give over the next ten weeks will have a component for you in your walk with God and a component that you are to pass on. And by the way, what I'll be doing, as well as preaching sermons on these, is I'm going to be making some studies on these. So every, every lesson will have a study. And what I want some of you to be doing is to be taking those studies and teaching them to other people. And what I want some of you to be doing is to be listening to this sermon series and then maybe finding somebody who can teach you these lessons. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a, in a minute. But one of the things I want to emphasize in this series is that discipleship is not a private matter. Our world increasingly lies to us about this. You can imagine somebody saying, oh, you found something that works for you? Good, I'm so glad for you. Now keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Our discipleship is, in some ways, a private matter. There are parts of our walk with God that are simply between us and God, but our relationship with God is also a public matter. There are things that we are called to do with each other and for each other. So if you really want to embrace discipleship, you need to embrace the corporate, the public nature of it. So what will we be doing as a church in discipleship? Well, one answer is this 11-week series, but again, we're not going to finish it. The point of this sermon series isn't to talk about discipleship and then to move on to something else. And in some ways, like, what do you do after you talk about discipleship? Well, we're going to study First John after we do talk about discipleship. The point of this series is so that we can understand what we need to be about. And discipleship, rightly understood, is what we are to be about. We are to be committed to being disciples and making disciples. And I want all of you on board with this. 
Let me suggest a different model, one that, that doesn't work. The model of swimming lessons. In swimming lessons, you take your kid, you drop him off at the pool with a stranger, and you ask that stranger to teach your kid how to swim, and you come back in 45 minutes and you hope that your kid is a better swimmer. We are not swimming lessons here at the church. Now, yes, we do intend to do our part. You can, you, know, you can come and learn things and go and be better off at the end, but what I want you to see in discipleship is that you play a role. If you want your kid or your neighbor or your friend to walk more closely with Jesus, I want you to see your part in that. And not just assume that the church will do it all. This means living like a family. The Apostle Paul bemoaned the fact that in Corinth, there weren't many people taking a fatherly or motherly role in their lives. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, In Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Later on in 1 Corinthians he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I used to think it was so weird that Paul would say that. Why doesn't Paul just say follow Christ? I want you to follow Christ, so follow Christ. Instead he says, I want you to follow Christ, so follow me. But the more I, I understand about this, the way that this world works, the more I understand what Paul is saying. He does want them to walk with Christ, but he realizes that in order for them to walk with Christ, it's really helpful for them to see a model of how to walk with Christ. And that's why he says, follow me as I follow Christ. So I want us to be people who have the audacity to say, follow my example as I follow Christ. In order for that to happen, we need to be walking with Christ, that's for sure. We also need to be helping other people walk with Christ. And this means that some of us need to take a fatherly or a motherly role. It means that you might need to go up to somebody and say, hey, would you mind meeting with me for the purpose of growing in our faith together? And I realize that that can feel awkward. You know, where do I get off saying, hey, I think you're not walking with God like you should. Here, let me help. That's not how I want any of you to feel like we're coming across. Because every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as as Savior and Lord is following him, yet every one of us could stand to follow him more closely by being trained even more. The goal is Christ-likeness. I want us to become like Christ. I want us to help others become like Christ. Now, I have ten more weeks after this what I want to do today, I want to talk about two things. First is your commitment. What is your commitment going to be? What's your commitment going to be to be a disciple? What's your commitment going to be to make disciples? God does the heavy lifting here, but he wants to use us in the process. He wants us to help others walk with Christ. So will you commit to him? Will you commit to being involved in growing in Christ? and in helping others grow in Christ. This can be messy work, but this is the work that we are called to, and I hope that you're on board with it. So what's your commitment? Now the second thing I want to talk about is a little comment card, a little uh, place for you all. If I could get a couple volunteers here to pass these out. Tom, would you start here? Actually, yeah. You take those and we'll start these back here. And if any of you need pens, I've got some extra pens here as well. Um, 
what's on this comment card? Well, there's a place for your name, and I, I do want you to put your name on this. And, and by the way, here's, after you fill this card out, we're going to put the offering baskets or some sort of basket on the back table, and you can, you can put it in there. Now, I struggled with this. Do, I, do we make this anonymous, or do we make you put your name on it? Do we make everybody fill it out or not? And, and what I just decided was, we're going to have everybody fill this out, although if you, I would say if you're a visitor here and you know you're not going to come back, you don't need to fill this thing out. Um, this is what we're going to be doing as a church. And if you want to be part of it, you can. But I, I want you to put your name on it. And then there's two parts of it underneath your name. The first part has three lines, three places for you to put check marks. The first line there says, I would like to be a disciple maker. Please let me, understand, uh, please let me help you understand what you're saying. You're not just saying, in general, yeah, down the line somewhere, I might like to be that. What you're saying is, Right now, I would like to be a disciple maker. I am interested in helping somebody, in meeting with somebody, and training them how to walk more closely with God. Again, on Wednesday night, we've got this thing. Well, I'll talk about that in just a bit. But for those of you that want to be disciple makers, I'm going to give you a little bit more training on Wednesday night. The second line there is, I would like to be discipled by someone else. And what you're saying there is, boy, I would sure benefit from meeting with somebody who's maybe a little bit further along than I am. I would love to sit down with them and talk through these lessons. And, and like I said, we're going to have ten lessons. And my, what I would love to see is for you to pair off in twos and to say, yeah, the two of us, we're going to get together every week or maybe every other week at, on Tuesday at 2 o'clock or whenever it is, and we're going to go through these lessons. So if you feel like you would benefit from having somebody take you through those lessons, then fill out that line. And, and by the way, you can fill out um, all three of these or none of these if you want. Um, you can fill out one or two of them as well. If you're not sure if you'd rather be a, a disciple maker or maybe rather be discipled, you can fill them both out. Or the third option there, some of you might be saying, well, can I just get somebody who's kind of at the same point in life as me and we can just kind of disciple each other in a peer-to-peer -peer sort of relationship? If that's what you would like to do, you can check that line as well. And again, you can fill out as many or as few of those as you want. I'm not trying to twist your arms here. I am, in some sense, making this a public thing. I'm asking you to put your name on it, and I'm going to see these things. But what I'm asking is for you, the people of Cornerstone Church, to be on board with discipleship, with being a disciple, and with making disciples. Okay, and then the second part there at the very bottom. If you're interested in attending the training session on Wednesday night, I'd like you to circle yes there. You don't have to circle no if you don't want to. If you'd rather just leave it blank, you can do that. But if you're one of those people that would say, yes, I would like to be trained in how to be a disciple maker, and I want to show up on Wednesday night at 7, I want you to fill out that part of this card. Okay, is that clear enough? Does anybody need a pen? Anybody need any further instructions on that? I realize that you might have more questions than answers right now, but that's okay. Because discipleship is a learn-as-you-go sort of a process. That's just the very nature of it. We're constantly learning, and those things that we learn then we're to be giving to other people. We don't know it all right now, but we want to learn and grow. How do we do discipleship? We'll figure that out as we go. But for right now, and I want to get back to that first thing, this, this comment card is the second thing. The first part of this is really your commitment. The commitment that you will make between you and God to be a disciple and to make disciples. Will you join with Christ 
in the life that He has called you to live. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for calling us to this life, this life where you rescue us and save us and lead us into the newness of life that you have for us, a wonderful life full of blessing and full of walking with you. I pray that we would live that life that you have called us to live and as part of that life that we would help others know you and walk with you as well. So thanks again for revealing yourself and I pray that we would be fully committed to you, fixing our eyes on Jesus and running the race with perseverance that is marked out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our closing song today, um, yeah, the cards again, fill them out and we'll, we'll put something on the back table. Um, maybe the offering baskets can get over there. Um, or if you want to give it to George, he's kind of collecting them too, it looks like. So, <laughs> um, Our closing song is called The Stand. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and I think what we're going to have you do, just as kind of a visual representation of this, we're going to have you start the song by sitting down. And, and there's a... Dan will coach you on when to stand up. But um, this song can stand as, as a commitment that we make to this sort of discipleship, walking with Jesus and helping others walk with him.